folks, this is Abel James, and welcome to the Fat-Burning Man Show, where we talk about real food and real results. Today's interview is with an awesome guy and a very sharp trainer named Roger Dickerman, who many of you may know as one half of the duo, Relentless Roger and the Caveman Doctor. But before we get to the show, I have a very quick but exciting announcement. A lot of you guys have been asking me to put the show on CD so that you can give it away as gifts or listen to it in the car or do whatever else you might do with CD. So I finally ventured into the physical world of hard copy CDs. I'm working with a a small scale printer out of New York. I'm very pleased to announce that you can now order the best of the Fat Burning Man Show on CD and episodes with Mark Sisson, Rob Wolf. Dr. William Davis, and tons more. So if you're interested in that, you can hop on over to fatburningman.com and check out the episodes uh, on the right sidebar at the top, or you can go to the Books and More tab, and it'll be right there too. But very exciting stuff. Actually, my own parents hadn't even really listened to the show until I gave them a bunch of CDs of it just because they don't know what a podcast is. So if you folks are in a similar situation or you know anyone else who might be interested, then hop on over to fatburningman.com. All right, so today we're here with Mr. Roger Dickerman of Relentless Fitness. And I've had the pleasure of hanging out with Roger both at Paleo FX and AHS 12. And I'm always impressed with his innovative thinking, passion for spreading the message of health, and general good-naturedness. This quote from one of Roger's clients sums it up well. A session with Roger is more than just a workout. It's a life lesson. I come away from every session with more tools to live healthfully and make good choices. So as you listen to this show, I'm confident you'll feel the same way. So today we cover... Why your iPhone is making you fat, why the word paleo is problematic, how Stevia ruined Abel's cup of coffee, and why you shouldn't check your email in the morning. All right, let's go on to the show. All right, folks, today we're here with one half of the Relentless Roger and the Caveman Doctor show, Mr. Roger Dickerman. What's cooking? Hey, Abel, how are you, man? Life is good. So let's start with your story because I I didn't realize this until I was hopping around on your website, but we actually both sat behind a desk for a time and didn't really enjoy the lifestyle. So you actually started out in finance and bonds, is that right? That's exactly right. So I definitely thought that my my life, my entire future revolved around Wall Street and finance and, yeah. and that lifestyle. And, you know, for a little while, I was pretty stoked up about it. And then, you know, I just became like you, dissatisfied. And congratulations, by the way, on leaving your own desk job. Thanks. It feels good. <laughs> but yeah, you know, it just became about self-empowerment. And I think uh, one I like to say one fine day, but really it was probably a process that evolved over time. Um, I went from being dissatisfied and not necessarily feeling empowered to change it to mm-hmm. all of a sudden getting empowered step by step and then one day walking away. How did that happen for you and what would you recommend to folks who are stuck behind a desk, maybe listening to this this show right now and don't really know how to get out of it because they're tethered to this desk working this job that, and it seems like there's there's kind of no way out whether they like it or not? Yeah, for me it came down to a sense of adventure and I, I have these <laughs> two really random and funny literary references i read two books and the one book was the count of monte cristo so that was uh you know (laughs) no way an adventure story and the other was tim ferris's a four-hour work week Mm -hmm. and so i had the fun and the business and all of a sudden my eyes were open to things that maybe they wouldn't have been before so i would say keep an open mind realize that you're not obligated to do anything that you really can you know if you have a passion follow it I love that. I I guess that's a tagline, right? I mean, we're talking a lot about passion these days. And, you know, 
passion sometimes does need to be practical, but mm -hmm. that you should at least, at least at a minimum, poke around and, and see what other possibilities are out there. Totally. So did you kind of become interested in, in fitness and nutrition or has that always been a passion for you? So Abel, I, I started really, really unorthodox for a personal trainer. Mm -hmm. I grew up and I, I had a busy family, uh, a mom who was an ER doctor and there were no home cooked meals and there was lots of uh, junk food and TV dinners. Yeah. And you know, I grew up slightly chubby and very academically oriented. And it wasn't until college when I moved into the city of Philadelphia and a friend of mine gave me a weightlifting education in a sweltering Chinatown fourth floor apartment. <laughs> and so for about a year, I just, uh, I, I lifted my head off, I read everything I could get my hands on, and from there, I guess I developed a passion for self-education. Wow, and so what did you learn? Oh, I learned that you could change how you looked. Yeah. You, you know, it was when I was a kid, I wasn't inactive, I don't wanna give that impression, I played lots of sports within my neighborhood, but mm -hmm. it was, oh, you know, I, I'm slightly chubby, and that's just the way it is. Right. There was no, again, set back to that theme, sense of empowerment, there was no, I can take control of this. I can change the food I eat. I can change the way I move. And all of a sudden, my eyes became more and more open to those possibilities. And that's such a really, it's an important point for a lot of people to understand because so many just assume that they're sentenced to being a certain way because of age or genetics or the personal situation. But it's incredible the changes that you can make if, if you put your mind to it more than anything else. Oh, it's spot on. And, and genetics, you know, may give you a range of possibilities. It may box you in from maybe you're not going to become the next Arnold Schwarzenegger, but it does give you a fairly wide range and, and certainly, you know, a, a lot of rope to optimize. Mm -hmm. And another important point is that some people just assume that it's easy for people like Arnold Schwarzenegger. And who knows, he might be that that one in a million rare exception where that is kind of the case. But I would venture to say it's not. He knows, or he knew, <laughs> what he was doing, what, how he was eating, how he was training. It's a science. It's a it's a very strong commitment, and it's not something that, that you don't just become Mr. Olympia, right? It's oh, it's not you're not born no that way. Um, I'm not sure if you've seen it, but there's a a film short that just came out called called Arnold's Blueprint. Oh, really? And it's yeah, it's all about how he basically cut his chops on an army base and how he would go marching and doing all sorts of stuff and then he'd lift for three hours a day in the context of army training wow so there's, there's no doubt he worked for it that's very cool yeah now one of the things that you focus on though is especially understanding life behind a desk is, is you focus on non-athletes so if someone has a family and commitments and a full-time job how do you get them started on a responsible exercise regime yeah, that's a great question. I mean, and that is that is the bulk of my focus. Granted, you know, if an athlete comes my way, I'm, I'm more than excited and, uh, to take that on and to really dig into the planning behind that. But I do see a lot of people who are part of the corporate world have families, you know, maybe have been up and down on on and off dietary and workout regimes uh, regimens. So what I do is I sit down and first figure out what makes them tick, first figure out why they're there, and then I really try to set them up to succeed and not to fail. Mm -hmm. And I think a lot of what we see on TV and, and the airwaves today centers around very aggressive uh, workout regimens, like right. the P90Xs and the Insanities. And a lot of those are good for certain people, but maybe not for others. You know, Someone might go on for four, five, six weeks and then just completely burn out because yeah. in the context of their life, they're trying to work out five, six, seven times a week. So yeah. I think I like to sit down with people 
maybe reframe their expectations on what they can do with a little less output that can comfortably fit within their life. And using exercise as a stimulus. I, I've heard you talk about that on your podcast. Man, Abel, that's that's my fa- one of my favorite topics these days. Is, yeah, go for uh, it. <laughs> Let's riff on that. <laughs> I get a lot of people who sit down across the desk from me and are opening consultations and they talk to me about, you know, calorie tracking on the treadmills and um, doing more, more, more. And I try and say, hey, you know, sometimes more can be less. Mm-hmm. Instead of thinking about what you're doing during the workout itself, in other words, taking a 20 minutes and making it 30 and then 40 and then an hour plus, and that's got to be better, right? Mm-hmm. But then we reframe that and we say, well, what if we treated exercise as a stimulus? That it's not about what happens during, it's about what you stimulate afterwards. So that if you jog for an hour, maybe you're quote unquote stimulating being a little slower mm-hmm. and your body shucking off both fat and muscle. Maybe if you sprinted for even 15 to 20 minutes uh, optimally, maybe you're stimulating you know, muscle growth or at least muscle sustenance and uh, just great composition overall. Right. I've, uh, I've repeated this story over and over again, but I, I still use it as an example just because it, it's, it happened to me and I showed people with pictures and, and with, uh, with measurements what happened to my body composition. And Roger, we've met, um, I, I usually am between like 160, 170. That's kind of like my, my healthy uh, weight. And I'm just naturally kind of like a more solid body composition, definitely a mesomorph and, and muscles and yep. stuff. But when I was running uh, marathons, I was doing anywhere between 30 and, and 50 miles a week when I was doing that, I was down to 148. And I actually wow. had a, a higher body composition. And so you'd assume like so many people are just like, well, I need to burn off my belly fat. I had more belly fat when I was running marathons than what I do now, which is barely running at all. I do actually, I just got back from some, some sprints uh, where I do you know, 20 seconds on, 10 seconds off. I do that for five minutes. And for me, that seems to work really well. Um, but it's, man, it'll get you. It's really intense. And so, I can. Comp- so you're doing the, the true Tabatas then? Yeah. Yeah. Um, but you kind of have to work up to that, right? Um, and a lot of times, I mean, you know what it's like to be busy. So you, you want to get the most bang for your buck out of the exercise. And strapping yourself to a treadmill for three hours is not bang for your buck. No, there's no doubt about it. And, you know, I, I talk to people a lot about going to sprint school, as I call it, it doesn't happen overnight. Mm. You know, so many people are conditioned to go for duration and not intensity. Mm-hmm. And swapping those variables out is not an easy thing. So sometimes I'll program a, a sprint workout for somebody and I'll have them go do it. And they'll come back to me and say, Roger, it was too easy. And I'll say, well, let's talk about it a little bit. Tell yeah. me exactly how you approached it. And it really becomes getting them more comfortable with being more intense within a short time frame. Right. Just think about your own workout, those Tabata intervals, the 20 seconds on, 10 seconds off. If you approach the 20 seconds on at 50, 60, 70% of your capacity, mm-hmm. you wouldn't get too much out of it. Yep. You really have to, to work it up between that 90 and 100% marker. Now, how do you get people started then? If they're used to, if they've never actually done it before, which a lot of people haven't, or they haven't done it since they you know, played baseball in seventh grade or something like that. How, how do you get them started in a way that, that also prevents injury? Yeah, I mean, and it really is, it's taking it slow. It's, I'm, I think of it as I'm being paid to take the long view mm-hmm. and, and sort of fight against their short view. Yeah. And when we, when we sit down across the desk, I'll talk them through that and just say, please give me, let's say, four weeks of faith. Yeah. That if you just have some faith in yourself, have some faith in me and the program, 
for four weeks and let's see how we come out the other side. Yeah. I don't want you to think about things a week from now. Give me four weeks. And I think that a week in, they're maybe second guessing themselves. They're thinking, hey, Roger's bringing me along really slowly. I'm used to getting slammed. I'm used to doing that P90X workout and just dripping sweat and lying on my back on the floor mm -hmm. or doing that hour and 10 minute run. And I'm just coming at it from left field. But again, mm -hmm. by the end of those four weeks, if they if they stuck with it, some pretty awesome things are happening. Yeah, it's so funny. I'm just thinking about what you said. The sprints are too easy because that's <laughs> definitely something's wrong if they're feeling that way. Because you can actually, I was just talking with uh, Keith Norris and uh, with his wife Michelle. We were talking about a 15 minute workout. That's all she had, and she's yep. like, "Whatever, I can't do it in 15 minutes." He's like, "I'll get you in 15 minutes," <laughs> and she couldn't walk. Afterwards. I have I have no doubt that Keith has the, the <laughs> capabilities to maybe even a 10 minute workout. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, he's a pretty intense dude. Now, how do you combine that? Because I, I want to be clear about this. We're not saying that you should give up on exercise or, or give up on going on the treadmill, even because any activity is better than none. And uh, so how do you reconcile that with, with doing the shorter amounts of intense exercise, but also keeping a, a higher level of activity for busy people? No, there's no doubt about it. So I take a five-pronged approach. So when I sit down with somebody, I start by explaining what I, what, what I conceptualize as the, the fundamentals of exercise. I look at it with five words, sprint, fun, lift, walk, and rest. And if I was programming for, let's say, your average person in your average situation, I would probably program in some level of each of these five components. Mm -hmm. So sp sprint we've talked about. I think lift is pretty clear as well. That's you know progressively getting stronger. Uh, fun is the interesting one. And that's um, it has some similarities to, let's say, your CrossFit workout of the day or Keith Norris's uh, high intensity interval resistance training. Mm -hmm. And it basically is a merger of sprint, sprinting and lifting. And it's not, you know, sprints could be 10, 15 minutes. Lifting could take about 45 or so. This is right smack in the middle. And it's bringing in that element of getting your heart pumping as well as that element of, of putting up some weights. Hmm. And then the other two are walking and resting. And I, I like to, I, I present a little chart. It's an intensity and time graph. And it mm -hmm. shows where each of these things fall on that chart. And I really do like to talk to people about walking and resting because it, they're so they're so essential. They're not sexy, but they're very essential. Yeah. Everyone, they try to skip the boring parts. And those can be the most important because everything just falls apart if you don't have those. Exactly. Another one is, is sleep and uh, and another one in addition to that is stress. And everyone just tries to skip right over those because that's boring. It's not sexy to say like, hey, get more sleep or like watch your stress. <laughs> They're no just like, no, it. whatever, I'll exercise more. What do you do in that case when when someone uh, doesn't take the advice uh, to heart? It's an interesting question. So uh, I'm actually running a program right now. Uh, I work with a local company and I have uh, 12 individuals from that company. The cool thing about it is it's a largely virtual program. Hmm. So I'm, I'm really stretching myself in the sense that, I mean, I'm sure you can respect, you have a, a, an online community. Right. Uh, I'm sure you can respect it where you don't have too much face-to-face -face content, mm -hmm. uh, uh, contact, and you lose some of that immediate rapport, and you have to find some other ways to get through. Right. And I think one of those ways is numbers and, and statistics, and having something that they can communicate to you feedback-wise and that you can then optimize for them. And one neat thing that the company did for these 12 individuals was uh, they purchased Fitbits. 
Yeah. And uh, what I can see and, and what I asked each of them to do is to track their sleep. Yeah. And so Fitbit will give you that graph of you, you tried to go to bed at this time. You actually fell asleep at this time. You woke up and stayed up for 10 minutes at 1.30 a.m. Mm-hmm. And it will give you that, that long line. And it'll show you, you know, how qualitative your sleep is. And what's interesting to me is someone who maybe would have been resistant to improving their sleep, now that they can actually see the numbers on a graph, it creates a much better conversation around it. That's true. Yeah, and I got to, after talking with Dan Party, who's a great dude uh, over at Dan's Plan, he got me, he convinced me to get myself uh, and my girlfriend also a Fitbit and it's super cool when you when you can visualize what your sleep looks like because otherwise you can just assume that you're sleeping fine. Um, but we can, when you actually see these awakenings pop up, it, it can be really informative, and you can you can actually make action items to improve your sleep coming out of that. And you like ask yourself, what was going on at one thirty? Like were, were lights flashing, or <laughs> did I did I nod my earplugs in, or something like that? Actually, it was kind of funny when I first used the Fitbit. I can't even remember exactly what happened. I might have put it on wrong, or uh, it wasn't calibrated correctly. But it said that my sleep efficiency was something like twenty seven percent, and I only actually slept for like oh, an hour man. and a half. I'm like, this can't be right, and it wasn't. I just had to to tweak something. But it is really informative and, and super useful. Yeah, you know, you, you touched on a great point. My, my podcast partner in crime, uh, Dr. Champ, he talks about, you know, some sometimes we think we're doing better than we actually are. Mm-hmm. And then once you get down to business and, and track something, it opens your eyes. Yeah. Whether, you know, whether if you're trying to cut down your carbohydrates and, uh, you know, you want to limit it to 100 grams a day or something along those lines and you actually see that you're at 210 grams a day. And it's, right. oh my gosh, you know, maybe I need to work a little bit harder on this. Similarly, like you said, with the sleep, um, maybe you find out it's taking you 47 minutes to fall asleep and you realize it's because maybe you laid down with your iPad that night and, and got yourself stimulated and then it, it jogs you to ditch it and maybe fall asleep in 10 minutes. So what do you do uh, yourself or what do you recommend for technology at night? None. <laughs> uh, I used to take my, I have to be honest, I used to take my iPad right in bed. It's so yeah. convenient. You know, you can lie on your back and just read what you want to read. And I would then shut it off and try to go right to sleep. And mm-hmm. it doesn't really work that well. Um, so I, I ditched it in favor of good old fashioned books. They'll put you right to sleep. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> I remember one night when I was, uh, I was in high school and I was running on empty that whole time trying to do it in three years and just beating myself up and there was one night where i was reading einstein i think it was on my sofa and i fell asleep at 6 30 p.m like before <laughs> dinner <laughs> but yeah so, so, so maybe may, maybe that's your next program man maybe you have to, <laughs> yeah. to to market something you know uh I'll, I'll teach you how to get to sleep faster and it's an einstein book <laughs> yeah i find that my best time to read is is in the morning um but yeah technology is such a tough one because I know when I was doing my consulting job, every night I would have to check email at like uh, 10 p.m. That was just kind of like the standard thing that everyone did. And if you didn't check it, then it could be a fire alarm in the morning, you know. So um, there are some great utilities for that. Like uh, I have one that cuts out the blue light starting at sundown, which is really cool. And it's called Flux for those of you who haven't tried that out. Are there any other tools that you're aware of or do you just kind of recommend a blackout after after sundown or at night? 
you know, Abel, I, I, I hate to be lame, but I just really do recommend going old school here. Yeah. I, I just shut the TV down, um, live in a loft style apartment. So, uh, I just keep all the technology downstairs. Mm-hmm. Oh, that's a great idea. Um, you know, just roll upstairs and shut it down. I, I really do. I have a, a small, uh, a small lamp as opposed to a, a huge light. That way, if I want to read, it's already starting to dim things out mm-hmm. and it just works very, very well. You know, those nights that maybe there's an event or I'm out or for some reason I'm watching a movie or TV, those nights I just don't get to sleep, mm-hmm. you know, as, as quickly. It's, yeah. it's just clear as day. And you know, that's a really good point too of separating yourself from it. I know you can, you can use this both ways. Being a musician, I try to keep my guitar around and out so that when I just walk by, I'll play it. Um, because that's kind of like a good behavior that you want to encourage. It's the same thing. I keep a pull-up bar up in my house in Austin. Uh, so when I go through the doorway, you know, if I'm feeling it, I'll just hop up there and, and do a few and get my blood pumping. But uh, the opposite thing can happen. I also found that I had, I think it was three or four computers, uh, laptops, just in every room of the house. <laughs> and they're yeah. like always open. What I did, which which really helped me, because you can't shut it off when like you see that it's open, it's always there. You're just like, well, there are a million excuses right now to, to hop on and check Google for something or check your email or, or send something funny on, on Facebook or whatever. Just wasting time. But uh, what I did is I got rid of all those other computers. I bought one Mac laptop and... Yep. Uh, and I try to, and I try to stick to this, but every night around like seven or 8 PM, I shut it. And then I just like put it in the other room and it's not there anymore. Like I don't when it, and when it's shut, even compared to when it's open, it has a huge mental effect on me. Like the pull isn't there anymore. I don't want to sit I, down in front of it. I love that. And I think it's really concerning to me, at least the, the world we live in now where again, you know, your phones and your computers and everything are so empowered to just have these these pieces of communication constantly shuttling in and you can get in that mindset where if you don't constantly have your email open you're missing something mm-hmm. and I think at first when you start to shut it maybe you can attest to this maybe that first time you shut the computer you did feel a very intense pull to it oh yeah you know I need to pop it back open what if I'm missing something right but if you train yourself to do that each night all of a sudden you realize the world will go on without you Mm -hmm. and you will get better sleep and you will stress manage better. And I think it's a really productive experience. Yeah. It can be uh, scary to think that the world can go on without you, but it's also true. (laughs) There's a a great deal of freedom in that too. One of the things that my, my friends hate me for is uh, I don't really answer my phone because I don't usually have it on me. And that's something that really has helped. You know, when we grew up um, and when a lot of other people grew up as well, I'm sure, who were listening. We didn't have cell phones next to our, our bedside, bedside table and uh, and on our person all day long. And there's something to, uh, to carrying around where you could reach anyone or anyone could reach you at any given moment that is, uh, it's great in one way, but it's terrible in most ways, I would say, you know, <laughs> with yeah, very my, few exceptions. Uh, my partner Marissa and I, when we go on vacation, we will have uh, a one one turn on a day rule with phones. Oh, that's great. So we'll turn it on. We'll keep it to 15 minutes or less, you know, cause I mean, we run a business, so we, we do have to be in tune with that, mm-hmm. but we have, we have great, great people at relentless. So we know things are being taken care of. We'll turn mm-hmm. it on. We'll check in if anything's, you know, if we need to handle anything, we'll do so. And we'll turn it off and get right back to enjoying, you know, wherever we are. Yeah. One of the things that I try to get people to do is ask themselves if they really need to be on call 
24-7 because most people, you know, are essentially acting that way. Um, when you when you have something that's on and you're reachable 24-7, you're on call at any given moment. You don't know if something's going to pop up and, and you need to be in, on the ready to respond to it. But there's a big difference between being responsible in, in your work or your personal life where I, th- I think that's a great idea if you're on vacation or even if you're not, you know, one or two times a day, maybe midday or uh, or at the end of the day, checking your messages and checking your email and responding to it as opposed to one of the things I, I very much dislike are those notifications that pop up um, when I get email or something like that. Um, oh, so yeah, I, tr- I try to turn all of those off. And so then it's like it's on your terms, right? You can approach this when you're ready to. And one of the things that that I started doing is not checking my email in the morning because um, <laughs> when I do, it just pretty much I'm on defense for the rest of the day. Yeah, it, re- it really throws it in your face right when you wake up if you do that. And, and just to piggyback on that, um, one of the first things I did with my iPhone was, like you, to disable my instant email notifications mm-hmm. so that if I wanted to check it, I'd actually have to click the email button. Yeah, I even put my, I have an iPhone also, and I put my, my inbox on the second screen so I don't see it. <laughs> I, that's a great tip, actually. That, yeah. That's a good one. Yeah, it, it helps. You have to kind of, these days with so much technology, you kind of have to play tricks on yourself like that. You know, if you find that you're constantly doing something that you don't like, like it's it's very bizarre for the amount of time that people spend on Facebook and the Internet and in general, like it doesn't seem like it's all that fulfilling. It doesn't seem like people are actually happy doing it. It's just kind of like this little addiction that they have. Yeah. You know, one of the things uh, one of the things I do tell my clients, uh, I love to use this. I actually read it via Nate Green. I don't know if you're familiar with that personality online. Mm-hmm. Um, he's heavily into lifting and those kinds of things. But he had written an article a while back that suggested replacing the word time for the word life. So, you know, if you have the time and the life for checking your Facebook and and being on your iPhone and, um, you know, watching watching mindless shows on TV and this kind of stuff, but you're telling me that you don't have the time or the life for eating right or Mm -hmm. exercising, does that make any sense at all? Right. So, you know, I'll just, I'll say, hey, just at least come at me honestly. If you have the life for, you know, watching Jersey Shore and checking your email every 10 minutes, but you don't have the life for getting that, those two or three workouts a week in and eating well, then, then fine. Yeah. Yeah. It's a tough one. <laughs> it is. It is. So for the busy people out there, the two to three workouts, what do you recommend that, that people uh, do? Is there a quick workout that you can just kind of recommend over this, this podcast that people can get started with right away? Yeah. So if I were, if I were to say, all right, you're going to condense your whole life down to, let's say, two workouts a week, it really, they really do fall into that, uh, as I presented, that fun camp, um, that CrossFit workout of the day-esque or, or high-intensity interval resistance training. So fun for me is, is freeform, unique, and nonstop. The mm-hmm. workout is, is randomized and constantly changing. It's challenging different aspects of your body. It's kept pretty contained into about a 20-minute time frame. And Abel, what I can actually do is I'll give you a link um, to test out a, a little fun workout to oh, give cool. you a little dose of my medicine. So if anyone wants to jump on and just see see how they uh, see how they do with this, they can give it a whirl. That's great. Yeah, that'll be awesome. Now let's uh, take a step back and talk about something else. You have an awesome podcast called relentless Roger and the caveman doctor. And I had Dr. Champ on a few weeks back. How did you get into it? Why'd you decide to start this show? 
Yeah, so in Philadelphia, uh, Marissa and I run a group called Ancestral Health 215, and we do it to you know give people a free way to interact and uh, connect with other people who are, are living this kind of lifestyle. You know, we'll do potlucks and, and hikes and, and cool. fun events like that. So uh, Dr. Champ came strolling in one day. He found the group, and um, we just kind of hit it off. He stayed afterwards. We talked, we talked, we chatted, and uh, it was clear that he was someone who was driven in the field and driven to make a difference. And so we just started hanging out periodically, and the natural evolution was one day we kind of, you know, looked at each other and said, let's do something bigger with this. And, <laughs> nice. you know, there, there it was, Podcast Road. Yeah, and how's it been going for you? It's been really, really enjoyable. You know, I guess I've been a trainer now for five years with big visions and, and, and hopes to, to help a lot of people. And one of my least favorite constraints is only being able to work with a certain amount of people per day. Hmm. And what's been really nice about the podcast is we can prep a little bit and we can just have a conversation. Hmm. You know, two, two people who are just passionate about what they do and live it on a daily basis. We can just go back and forth, hit record, put it out there, and it's it's amazing to think that um, some people have been helped by it. And I, I hope people continue to be helped by it because I used to try and blog all the time, and the prep time and the production time was just overwhelming in the context yeah. of the training I was doing. Mm -hmm. So I would always anger myself. I would always put out this what I thought was this great blog post. And then it would take me three months to get up another post and I'd be beating myself up for the entire three months. Yeah. But now you're just basically having a conversation about something you're passionate about. And it's, it's this communication that can go out and is going out to thousands and thousands of people. It's super cool. It, it's, I, I think we're lucky to have the platform. You yeah. Know, it's, it, it's incredible. Uh, the day and age we live in and, and the amount of people we can reach and the diversity of people we can reach. Right. I, I love that. Podcasts are amazing. And thank you all once again so much for listening. Now, I, I'm kind of bouncing around, but we're uh, I want to make sure that we get to some of these really important things. One of the things I really like about your approach, Roger, is uh, how you put starch and fruit in an activity layer uh, yeah. and talking about nutrition. So can you explain why why that's important and how you came to that? Yeah, absolutely. So actually how I stumbled on paleo, uh, as a trainer, I wanted to differentiate myself. And so I created a transformation program and I've been working it over for about uh, three plus years now. But the first thing I did was pilot it myself. And so I was going on this program at the time it was 12 weeks long. And I said, I want to see how far I can push my body within 12 weeks to mm -hmm. see what happens. Mm -hmm. And so for the first eight weeks, I was doing more, more so your traditional you know, lifting, a little bit of sprinting, actually a lot of duration as well, duration cardio as well, the mm -hmm. stuff that I now um, really detest <laughs> for, the mo for the most part, for the most yeah. part. There, yeah. there, are, there are instances for it, but for the most part, I like to keep it out of there. Uh, and I was also, I was eating your traditional, you know, I wasn't eating necessarily tons of bread, but if you're familiar with Ezekiel bread, I was mm -hmm. bringing things like that in. I was bringing your Greek yogurts and decent amounts of honey and those kinds of things in. And then all of a sudden, the last four weeks, I think just because of some bodybuilding literature, I said, I'm going to just drop all grains. Yeah. And I cut them out. And the last four weeks of my 12 outperformed my first eight. Wow. And I said, whoa, this is crazy. This is really, really crazy. Yeah. And then I started to dig. And I started to see, well, is there a terminology for this? Are other people doing this? And the mm -hmm. first person I stumbled on was, was Mark Sisson of Mark's Daily Apple. Mm -hmm. And I said, oh, wow, this is, this is primal. This is paleo. 
Yeah, that's um, almost exactly what happened with me. It was the old bodybuilding textbooks. <laughs> I cut yeah. out grains and then I found out that, wow, people are actually doing this. Yeah, and so as that progressed, as the self-education progressed, and I, I interacted with more and more personalities in the field, uh, and, and more and more clientele who were adopting these principles and, and getting great results. You know, what you start to see within the paleo world is that fruit and starch is a very personal experience. Mm-hmm. You know, out there right now is the whole safe starch debate, which I I kind of have to say I really believe for 99% of people that debate is uh, complete overkill, that it shouldn't even come into play <laughs> at all. I really think that debate is for the last 1% right now. Uh-huh. Um, because a lot of people are more concerned about getting off of sugars and grains and those kinds of things. Yeah, absolutely. So for starch and fruit, a very personal experience. I was finding a lot of clients did better with very little. A lot Mm -hmm. of clients did better with a moderate amount. Yep. And a lot of clients who were moving a lot did better with lots of it. Yep. And so I really started to frame it. Okay. Okay. Let's, let's restructure the food pyramid. Here are your categories, but we have this one funny layer that doesn't ever stay in the same place. And it moves as you move. And so the activity layer, starch and fruit. You move more and you move more intensely, you eat more of it. Mm-hmm. And, you know, on, on an individual basis, I'll go into exactly how much. But that's the general principle behind it. I love that. Yeah. And I've been wrestling with that myself. And that's uh, what I always explain to people is that starches are the one thing that does seem to be very individualized. You know, some people don't handle them well at all. I know myself personally, at least at this stage of my life, when I cut them out, too low for too long and I keep my activity up, I'm smoked and I can't really recover. My performance goes down and I feel like crap. <laughs> so I'm a big fan of, of sweet potatoes. I'm the same exact way. Really? And, and the caveman doc would agree as well. I think we're both big sweet potato advocates, especially in the context of, again, your movement, your working out. You know, I think the best time for the body to take them down is, is post-workout. Right. So you don't necessarily subscribe to the belief that every gram of glucose that you consume shortens your lifespan. I don't. Yeah. <laughs> I, I don't, and, I don't and you know, either. and honestly, there's another side to that where I think that that line is coming from just a longevity perspective mm-hmm. and not speaking necessarily to maximizing the time that you're here. Right. You know what? If, so maybe if there is a little bit of truth to that, fine. But I do, and I know a lot of people who want to be strong and vibrant and fit. Yeah. And not and not feel drained and feel sharp. And for many, many people, myself included, it sounds like you included, a little bit of starch goes a long way. Yeah. And that's that's true. It's a little bit. I'm talking like half a sweet potato or maybe a full sweet potato a few times a week on on like a activity day. But um, one of the things that it does for me, too, is that it it makes me want to work out like uh, somehow I feel revved up in a yep. way and, and it definitely helps my performance. And then when you eat it afterwards, it's like it is kind of a treat and when you treat starches that way then I, th- I think that's really um, a way to have a healthy relationship with it for me they're also a trigger food I, you know um, tortilla chips um, potato chips especially popcorn with real butter and salt that stuff will like I start eating it and I, I don't ever want to stop so that's another thing to kind of be careful about. Oh, I'll go nuts I'll go nuts on that stuff I can't even have that stuff in the house yeah, because I I know once I have the first bite, it's it's pretty much over. It's pretty rough. <laughs> yeah, exactly. But sweet, exactly. sweet potatoes, I, I found that's the perfect one for me, and um, I don't even branch out that much when it comes to starches because I I just try to keep them down. Oh man, yep. and and when I when I <laughs> I also kept my activity up. I did some pretty hardcore fasting, and my carbs 
super low. I felt awful for a long time. Oh, yeah. There's, no, there's no doubt about it. <laughs> I, it really, you, you just have to be aware of your movement. I, I know there are, there are those out there who think even in the context of movement, you know, keep your carbs extremely low. I mm-hmm. just personally have not, I've tested it. I personally have not found that working for me. Right. Yeah. I, I think it does work fine for some people, maybe really well for, for certain people, but we are all individuals and there's no advice that will be, um, you know, perfectly appropriate for everyone, except for, I think, real eat real food. <laughs> I think that that exactly. small piece of advice really will help almost anyone. And I, I never give medical advice. Obviously, I'm not uh, qualified to do so. But I, I say that, that pretty much in any case, real food will, will help someone despite their condition. Yeah, real food just wins out. It just does. And I always suggest when, when things get overwhelming for people, you know, just focus on one thing at a time. Mm-hmm. And, you know, if you hear someone say that starch is bad, but you're using starch to replace outright, you know, cake. Right. I, I think starch is very, very good for you. Right. You know what I mean? It's yeah. all about use. It's, it's how you're using it as a person. It's like artificial sweeteners. I think we would both agree that they're not the best thing for you. Mm-hmm. But if someone was dumping, you know, five tablespoons of sugar in their coffee and they switch over to uh, artificial sweetener, I think that's an extremely healthy move. Right. Or less unhealthy. Very, you know, that's a that's a great reframe. I like that. Less unhealthy. <laughs> so, what do you um, suggest for artificial sweeteners? Yeah, I mean, I'm not a fan of them, but again, in context, they can work. And so, I will say, you know, probably stevia above yeah. all. Mm-hmm. I'm but, actually kind of a fan okay. of, of xylitol as well. Okay. Although there's um, there's one that works pretty well for us in, in baking, and um, Allison does a heck of a lot of that. Actually, she's coming out with a cookbook soon. But um, xylitol, <laughs> now, now it's coming from GMO corn, if you don't watch it. It used to all, um, it's it's been used for over 100 years, coming from birch trees. And uh, it, it's pretty similar to sugar, but uh, in terms of taste and in, in texture. And I find that stevia, especially when I first started using it, I had a pretty rough cup of coffee because I put like the, the, the whole bag in. Oh, and man. it's like, oh, God, this is terrible. This is the worst thing ever. <laughs> but if you learn how to use stevia... Um, in, in exactly the right amount, it can be pretty awesome. And uh, the, the health effects are definitely better than the chlorinated pesticides that are found in Equal and, and saccharins and stuff like that. Yeah, there's no doubt. Yes. There's no doubt about it. Stevia is a pretty good one. Now, there was another um, topic that you sent over to me that, that I think could be really interesting. The issue with the word um, paleo. Why don't you tell, <laughs> tell us about what happened uh, with Jimmy Moore at Paleo FX? Oh man, I you know, I don't even I don't think I've ever told him this story. Oh really? <laughs> maybe he, maybe he doesn't even remember it. But I think th- this will be the debut of the story. Not, nice. not that it not that it matters to many. But <laughs> uh, so Paleo FX last year was uh, my first opportunity to be on a panel. I, I was on three panels there, and I was pretty stoked about it because that was my goal. My goal is to get to get this out there, get this mm-hmm. message out there. And so uh, the first panel was moderated by Jimmy Moore, and it was a community outreach panel. And he, you know, he had reached out and said, hey, what does everyone want to talk about? So I sent him a list of maybe four or five topics. And the first topic on that list was, is paleo a helpful or harmful term? And so then the, the panels are getting closer. I see the schedule. I see it's the first panel of the first day. And I'm sitting next to Rob Wolf. And he's the author of The Paleo Solution. Mm-hmm. And a couple seats down is Neely Quinn, Paleo Plan. And I'm at Paleo FX. And I just thought... <laughs> You know, in the scheme of things, with panel debuts, maybe I don't want to go down that road right away. 
And so I reached out to, I, I think I mentioned, I pulled Jimmy aside and I said, hey, you can just skip over that topic and, and, and move on. And I think he was so focused on just the panel itself. I don't even yeah. know if he heard me. Yeah. And so, of course, <laughs> first question thrown at me, I understand you think the term paleo may be harmful. Explain. <laughs> So, and so off we funny. went. <laughs> so, so what did you say? Yeah, you know, I love that this community that we're a part of has really coalesced around paleo. And I think mm -hmm. it's, it's amazing. It's an amazing construct in that regard. But I think I have a little bit of a different perspective because, you know, operating out of Relentless Fitness and just interacting with so many different and diverse people that walk in the door. 99% of them don't give a hoot about paleo. Yeah. And a, per, and a large percentage of them don't even want to. Mm -hmm. That maybe they've, they see it as that silly caveman fad that's been badmouthed by the mainstream. Right. And Which it definitely has. there are these preconditioned beliefs. And if I try to attack those beliefs on day one, or counter, not attack, counter those beliefs mm -hmm. on day one and say, hey, paleo is the greatest thing since sliced bread, uh, they're going <laughs> to run screaming. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And so... Uh, my, some of my favorite cases are the people who come in and I can tell right away if I bring up the word paleo, they're going to tune me out from here forward. Yeah. And so we start slowly. And instead of saying paleo, we say, hey, grains might not be might not be as healthy as we once thought. Mm -hmm. And we start to have the grain consumption and then approach sugar. And then maybe later we tackle uh, beans and legumes. Mm -hmm. All of a sudden, two years later, that very same person who would have ran away from me kicking and screaming is now actually a paleo evangelist. Yeah. That to their entire peer circle, their family, coworkers, everybody, they are saying paleo really is the best th the best thing since sliced bread and <laughs> that is really really satisfying to me because I remember when they when they first came in and how they would have approached it. Yeah. Yeah, that's so interesting. But you don't have to live like a caveman to eat like one. Exactly. And so I, str I struggle because I see the debate. In one sense, paleo is such an amazing term because it's created and spawned this community around it. Mm -hmm. And the community is a really strong one and a really passionate one, and I'm proud to be a part of it. But on the other side of it, if, if we take ourselves out of the podcast and paleo bubble for a moment, there are 99% of the people out there who just, again, don't, don't have a clue about paleo, and, and a lot of them don't want to have a clue right now. Right. Yeah, actually, I, I just saw something that was forwarded to me that Mark Sisson is on like the nightly news with Brian Williams, I think, tonight, which is pretty exciting stuff. We're starting to poke into the mainstream. Yes, absolutely. Which and, is and very exciting. Ho hopefully, the mainstream sort of um, starts accurately representing things because mm -hmm. I think uh, paleo has a lot of different definitions in the mainstream right now. Yeah, and, well, and within the community. And that, you, know, you know what? You're right. You're right. But... um you know, I think the whole the whole carbs aren't allowed thing scares people off. Yeah, and I th but I think Mark Sisson does a great job because he has a little bit more of a lax approach, mm -hmm. um, and it's a productive one. And I think a lot of people are. I, I actually do find that people are a little bit more likely to jump on board with Primal, where yeah. you know a little bit of cheese is in there and and starches and and you know he's not saying cut your fruit down drastically or anything like that. Mm -hmm. I think a lot of people are more likely to jump on board with that. As opposed to if they if they run into a hardcore paleo advocate who's saying no starch, drastically limit your fruit, no cheese, no dairy, you know all all no these fun. No. <laughs> yeah, 
<laughs> yeah, no fun at all. Well, we're coming up on time, but uh, before we go, why don't you tell us a little bit about what you're working on now and, and anything else you'd like to cover? Thanks, man. Yeah, well, first, I just want to say that that my partner, Marissa, is a huge fan of this show, and she told me that if I made it on the Abel James show, then I've made it in general. <laughs> that is so sweet. So She's a sweetheart. I, you know, I, I feel like it's all downhill from here, man. I, I peaked. I peaked. That's hilarious. Well, well but, thank you, <laughs> Roger and Marissa. But uh, no, what I'm working on right now is, um, you know, day to day, it's all about relentless fitness for me at the yeah. studio. That's kind of our baby. And um, we interact with lots and lots of amazing people. And in, in the context of that, uh, there is the relentless transformation. That's my, you know, that's my pet program and run it for over three years now. Had about 100 and almost 150 individuals come through the doors. Very uh, cool. In that, in that intensive program. And, wow. Uh, one of the things I'm working on right now is a pilot with those 12 virtual transformers. So I'm really excited to bring the transformation to the online space. Wow. Very and cool, man. Just see how that goes. Yeah. Well, you're a busy dude, so I really appreciate you taking the time to come on. And I would love to have you back. You're you're a pro. Thanks, man. I, I love to be back. You you do things well. You you run a. It's it's very easy to have a conversation with you, and I appreciate that. Right on. Well, thanks so much, Roger. We'll be talking soon. Take care, Abel. To hear more from Roger, make sure to check out his blog at relentlessroger.com. And once again, I've just released the best of the Fat Burning Man show on CD. So if you'd like to check that out, head on over to fatburningman.com and it's on the right sidebar or the books and more tab. So until next week, enjoy this beautiful fall weather and I'll be talking to you all soon. Cheers.